You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Kevin, it is not a broken wing, but rather originally a sore ankle led to the discovery that it was a back issue and then some procedures for Shaquille Leonard. And we've talked about this. You had mentioned it yesterday, but I want you to elaborate on it. I'm going to give you the floor here. When it comes to Shaquille Leonard, who is clearly an integral part of this defense and his return, certainly on the sidelines, if you looked up on the video boards at the game on Sunday, um, energy, enthusiasm, and movement was not an issue, at least, listen, I realize cheering and being on the field, two different things, but um, we await the return of Shaquille Leonard, so I want you to to give your interpretation of what the buzz might be about him right now. Yeah, you know, I said the phrase yesterday, Jake, and I know it stirred up some conversation on Twitter that the Shaquille Leonard injury situation to me has some Andrew Luck elements in it. Um, I think there are several of them. Um, Is this guy abruptly retiring from football one of those elements? No, not at all. I do not see that happening, so I want to make that very clear. When I say that there are some Luck elements, it's a star player. It's an extremely weird injury. Jake, listen to how you described it coming out of the break. I feel the same way every time I describe the injury. I, I don't know where to begin. <laughs> you know, it's like right. one play last year, he looks like an all-pro. The next play, he looks like you or I. And in May, Shaquille Leonard is up there talking about how they feel like they have everything handled from a surgery standpoint. And then a few weeks later, he's having back surgery to correct the ankle pain. So... The, the diagnosis and the normalcy, if you will, to this injury is not there at all. It's weird. It's murky. It's been difficult, again, to diagnose. And so I think that has some luck elements to it. Um, I think another part that you can make a comparison to is we are now four straight weeks into Shaquille Leonard practicing. He's practiced full in six straight sessions. That is a long time on the practice field, not to be returning to game action. So I do think that falls into the similarity category. And I think the last part of it, and again, this isn't me saying that all of a sudden Schillender is going to have a press conference to retire tomorrow, but Leonard himself in the spring, Jake, openly said that the love that he has for the game of football faced some questions last year. And the incredible passion that he has, which we all saw on display on the sideline, frankly, on Sunday, that came into question. I think part of it was his physical health and the frustration over pinpointing that injury. Again, he looked like the best defensive player for chunks of last season. Then in other moments, he looked like a liability. How That's got to be frustrating for Leonard. Um, he had a death in his family. He had people close to him get sick. Um, I think how the season ended, he mentioned, was a huge, huge deal for him as well. Um, So I think that is something that falls in line with the luck situation as well. I know that's maybe a little bit of a, it's always kind of a jarring statement to compare the two, but I want to try and make it clear of where I think the two have some overlap. Um, I think why Leonard has not played this season comes down to this, Jake. He is not totally comfortable being on the football field at 80%. That's where he's at. And when he watches film himself in practice and compares it to his normal self, he doesn't feel like he is there. He's not totally confident being out there at 80 or 90%, and I think that's why we have not seen him yet this season. So if you had to guess, when will we? And I and I want to preface with I'm just asking you your guess here. Sure. I don't want people to think that I'm asking I you mean, for inside info. To me, it seems like it's rather close. I I would – part of me says this. If it's not Sunday against Tennessee, why would it be Thursday against Denver? You know, the Colts play twice here in a five-day stretch coming up. You don't practice next week. So, I think it's either this Sunday or we don't see him again until – is it Jacksonville after the Denver game or is it Tennessee again? It's either Tennessee or Jacksonville. Um I, to, to answer your question, Jake, and I try to be brutally honest in everything I say, I don't have a great gauge on it. I, I Maybe this weekend, but 
Leonard has got to watch that film of him in practice, and he's got to feel confident. And Titan, I just Titans at Broncos and then Jaguars ten days after that. Basically, he doesn't want to go out there on the football field and go through what he did last year, and that is where he said in the spring, you know, I fell out of love for the game. I wasn't enjoying it anymore. I mean, those are some pretty eye-popping comments to hear from a guy that I think just has such an innate and genuine love and passion for the game of football. You golf, right? I do. I've never golfed, but I and I know that I've mentioned this before. I've I've shot baskets, played basketball my entire life. When I was a kid, I would go next door and shoot baskets in the driveway for hours on end by myself. I mean, that's played pickup ball with my buddies after school as long as I can remember. And a couple of years ago, I was at the gym and I was just shooting around by myself. And all of a sudden, I started thinking about my shooting motion. Something that I had like done involuntarily for 25 years. But I started thinking about every aspect in which the way that I was moving to the point where I was trying to think it through before I was doing it. It was no longer instinctive, and it was mentally throwing off the way that I was shooting the basketball. Now, have you ever had that happen in golf where your swing becomes mental, and then all of a sudden you almost can't remember what it was like to do it instinctively? Praying for a swing thought to come back in your head to get you back on track. Yes. You have to wonder when someone like Shaquille Leonard goes through an injury where he is – he was for a year probably moving his body in a way that was not natural because he was overcompensating for an area of pain or soreness is part of that the mental aspect of finding again just that involuntary movement of feeling comfortable and think about again how much it lingered in here in the year 2022 like i said in may then darius leonard is up there at the press conference saying we think we're done with procedures and surgery. And then a few weeks later, he's having back surgery because two nerves are sitting on two discs and they feel like that is necessary to be done to remove the pain in his ankle. Uh, Lyndon says this in the YouTube chat, Jake. Thinking about this from the opposite side of the spectrum, Kevin, do you think Leonard's cautiousness is being perpetrated by not wanting luck 2.0? i.e. the Colts don't want to push him back? I could see that. In other words, I could see that from there's both more parties. player control than you would think, more player power than you think? Let's play that Frank Reich audio, Mark, because I think Frank hints a little bit at that. This is Friday when Frank ruled Shaquille Leonard out, and I'm sitting there at the press conference thinking, man, that's four straight weeks of practice. That's 11 straight days he's practiced. of guys, and to be fair, this Leonard injury I think is much more serious than the luck injury that ended up him retiring from. There are obviously other luck injuries that I think played into it, but luck's calf injury was not on the same scale that I think Leonard's injury is on. But I sat there and thought to myself, like, what is, what does Shaquille Leonard need to do to get final clearance to be on the field? Here was Frank Reich's answer to that. Really good week for Shaq. Really good week for Shaq. Um, you know, there's been incremental improvement every week. Um, I would say this week was incremental plus, you know, just to try to give you guys some sense of where he's at. Um, he remains in great attitude, great spirits, great teammate. Um, what's left is he's got to know he can go out there and play winning football. That's the bottom line. He's got to know he can go out there and play winning football and feel confident in that. And that's mostly coming from him. It's a conversation with everybody, but deep down it's the player. You know, deep down the player's got to know he can go out there and play. He can play winning football and help this team win. And so that, that's what that's where we got to get to. And like I said, this injury, it's a, it's a, it's a bear. So, and he's fighting and scratching. He is fighting and scratching every second, every way he can to get back out on the field. I promise you that. I mean, he is doing everything plus he can do to get back out there on that field. It's killing him. What you hear in there is a lot of praise for the player. What you hear in there as well is 
Shaquille does not feel totally confident in his ability to play winning football. And I think if you want to try and summarize this whole situation down to kind of one sentence, that's it for me. Shaquille Leonard does not feel totally confident in his ability to play football at the level that he wants to play it at. And therefore, he's not being out there. Devil's advocate. I understand that. But at what point does the investment that a franchise makes towards a player supersede the player's overall wishes of feeling of comfort? And I don't mean, if a player physically can't go, I get it. But at what point does a franchise say, or are we past that point in professional sports now, of it's a, it's a very fine line and a balancing act that fascinates me about professional sports because on one hand you can say, I'm paying you millions of dollars, so therefore I need as a result of that the assurance from you that you are willing to push through some things to be available to me. The other side of that is... I'm paying you millions of dollars, so therefore you are a very delicate investment that I want to make sure I'm getting the maximum out of it by assuring that you are able to give me 100%, and so therefore I'm not going to push you until you're ready to do so. Well, I think the other side of it too, Jake, is do the Colts feel like he'd be a liability out there? That's what I mean. Yeah, I mean. Are they saying Bobby Okereke and Zaire Franklin right now are in a better? Bobby Okereke at 100% is is right now better than Shaquille Leonard at 70. Right. But not Shaquille Leonard maybe at 90. But he's not at 90 yet is what they're saying, right? Basically. And again, it seems like the player's driving a lot of that. But I think that's a question you have to ask. This I would disagree with from, from Harley. Uh, he goes, I think it was a wasted roster spot to not put Leonard on Pup if he wasn't going to play the first four games of the season. The Colts, and this is a little bit more roster mechanics are getting into, the Colts have not had a ton of injuries early in the season. They have room to carry Leonard. And remember, if Leonard is on Pup, he cannot practice. So if you would have put him on Pup, you would be literally bringing him off that list. I believe it would be after this game. He can't practice before that Denver game because teams don't practice on those short weeks. Therefore, you'd be waiting to start what is now a four-week cycle in mid-October. He wouldn't be out there till Thanksgiving under that. So if you look at the Colts injury situation through the first three games of the season, at most they've had one or two guys inactive due to injury. You have seven inactive spots on your roster each week. So I, I it is not there's not been a situation where it's like, man, you could use another tight end right now. Why is Leonard on the fifty three man roster? It, it has not gotten to that point yet. I can't recall this, and I'm embarrassed to say this. Did they play 16 or 17 games last year? 17. So in the last two years, the Colts have played 20 games now, right? 20 regular season games? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's uh, Plus an over, at least one overtime. So 81 quarters, basically, right? I can't remember if they played any overtimes last year. Really putting that algebra to work today. I feel like well, one of those. what I can here. Yeah. Did one of those Tennessee games go to overtime last year? Oh, we'll say. Hell yeah, 82. <laughs> so in the last two years, they played 82 quarters of football. How many of those quarters of football do you think Andrew Luck sat and watched all the way through? If you had to guess. So 81, is is that the number you said? We'll say 82 in case there was an extra overtime that we forgot about. So 82 quarters of football over the last two seasons, last season and this season. I'd say half. 41 quarters. Gosh, so, they had a couple overtime games. Baltimore was the other one. Okay, so 83. So, Yeah, I mean, he's got nap time that he's got to be home for. I mean, what else is he dialing up? How so, many architecture documentaries can he watch? <laughs> you think he's watching the Dahmer documentary, Mark? That's uh, bad park chops. <laughs> By the uh, way, he's getting his MBA in education. Really? Good for him. No way, a, a prof. So is that what if you get an MBA, a master's of business administration in education? I, I think so. So does that mean that he's that he's gonna go into academic administration, right? Be a principal one day? Or like a No running in the halls, please. <laughs> he would um, have a great voice for that. Could you slow down? Slow imagine the student just making fun of them. Ah, uh, can you imagine? I mean, guys, you, kids are going out there, you know, they they want to run the halls, you know. But he <laughs> But my point being, at some point, 
he was not 100% in on football. Not even physically speaking, mentally speaking, he was not 100%. I don't know that he ever was 100% in. Maybe he was, but is Shaquille Leonard there in that mental approach? Is he over it? I mean, his comments in the spring were, again, pretty eye-popping. I got a few of them here. I fell out of love of the game. I wasn't enjoying it anymore. I wasn't really smiling. This offseason, I stayed away from ball for probably two months. I realized I have to work on me as a person. I have to work on me showing my emotions and not allow people's comments to hurt me as much as it did. He has a... a Last year, I wasn't in the right mental space to hold everybody accountable, and I felt like the, I felt like I let the team down in that aspect the last two games. I felt we got comfortable with winning. We went down to the Cardinals. We won that game on Christmas night. I felt like that was our Super Bowl. A lot of people saw that as our Super Bowl, and we felt invincible. And we went down there and beat them with our backups. What was his... You know, Shaquille Leonard is, and I want to make very clear here, this is not me disparaging him in this regard at all. You know, I I wrote a column on our website last week where I talked about my relationship with Dr. White and talked about how a huge part of that for me was in my early years of adulthood, you know, I went through a clinical depression and Dr. White was somebody that was there for me. So I don't look down on that at all. I understand it. I relate to it. I'm empathetic about it. But because Shaquille Leonard is part of the kicking the stigma platform for the Colts, do we know, has he ever said what it was that he has a history of is it depression uh i don't i don't know if he said that uh, you know maybe he has in one of those kicking stigma kind of psas or one of those um as far as the off the field stuff this past off season or i should say in the past year you know he mentioned his cousin dying um, i believe his dad and his sister i think he said were both ill at some point um, you know, he's brought it up quite often about his brother's death his brother died when he was, I think, around a teenage age, and I think that is what he's probably brought up the most. So I would assume some sort of depression involved. Uh, and in that, that would be totally understandable. And, and, I mean, Kevin, that can be difficult to overcome, right? The one thing that depression does do is it kind of zaps energy from you. And I can't imagine – cannot imagine being in a clinically depressed state and having to go out and like physically exert yourself like that that'd be tough and i have no idea that that's where he is right now i want to be very clear on that but if it is listen those things take time man it's not that's not easy anderson says uh, seems mental for sure do the colts have a sports psychologist on staff i believe they do i would imagine they do right i think that's been something teams have tapped into much more and if they you know outsource that or whatever i think now it's probably someone in-house so again I, I think just to summarize it Jake with Leonard it's that when he has practiced now for four straight weeks when he has gone back and watched film when he has kind of felt himself on the practice field okay do I feel like my normal self he's not totally confident he's not completely confident in himself here's a good point if they would have put him initially on the pup list how many games would he have missed four but again could not practice then so you would just be delaying. How many practices were training camp? He missed, I think training camp was 16 practices, so he missed all those. And then if I'm not mistaken, he practiced the first day they got back to their facility. So he's practiced 11. Um, he's almost made up for that. 11 times. And they've had nine regular season practices, three each week leading into the game. He's been out there for all nine of those, and seven of the nine, he's been a full participant and six straight full. Again, that's that's the weird, odd stuff to me, Jake, because if any – I mean, I can't think of one player for the Colts over the last decade who's practiced 11 straight days and not played in a game. Can't think of any. I mean, because luck – So, okay. The whole luck situation, he was – he practiced at the start of camp, but then he like sat out for those two weeks in between, and it was weird. I mean, Leonard has been out there for every single hell. I think every single practice. So then, here let in the me ask you this: Kevin ran down, or Mark ran down the schedule here. Kevin, when you look at it, you got Tennessee upcoming. Then you go at Denver, and you go Jacksonville, then at Tennessee. What is the benchmark game where you say to yourself, "Okay, if he's not back by this game, then I'm wondering about the season." 
or are we there? It's probably the first game after the Thursday night. Or you said that's Jacksonville, Mark. Yep. God, is that ten days be, after that? Is one. that the biggest game of the year? Could be. Yeah, October sixteenth, Jacksonville. Titans again right after that. I mean that that little slog there of how about this stretch right here? Yeah, I mean Tennessee, Denver on a short week, Jacksonville and Tennessee again. I want to say the second Tennessee game is uh, they come off a bye week. Well, what's the, crazy the is Titans for that. What's crazy is by the time before Halloween, they're done with the division except for the typical end of the year home game against Houston, right? Which is Wild. kind of. Th- I mean, so what you play ten straight games yeah. without playing a divisional game? Yeah, I mean that's exactly. You're correct. Titans against the Colts this Sunday. Then the Titans play at the Commanders. Then the bye week. Then they host the Colts. I mean, we'll get into this throughout the week. I cannot stress enough how important Sunday is. It's you've pretty already, big. You've already missed two divisional chances. Jacksonville's one and zero in the division. They have the head to head on you. If you talk tiebreaker scenarios, divisional record is the thing next on the list. Head-to-head is first, then it goes divisional record. At best, you're going to get a split against Jacksonville. So that means you're already looking at that second tiebreaker. That would be divisional record. And right now, Jacksonville's 1-0, and and you're 0-1-1. And the Jaguars are putting it on, folks, <laughs> these last couple of weeks, too. They got Philly this week? At Philly, yep, then Houston. They're not going to win in Philly, right? What's that line? If Jacksonville wins in Philly, they are for real. This is the, to me, this is the, if Jacksonville wins in Philly, and I'm not saying Philly's outstanding, but that's a tough place to play. It's a hostile crowd. They're playing well. They're unbeaten. If they go to Philly and win, then. Doug Peterson revenge game. That's right. If they go there and win, though, that's something, right? They are a six and a half point dog at the moment. So just under a touchdown favorite. The Eagles are a touchdown under a touchdown favorite. Eagles aren't losing that game, right? Boy, you're not kidding though. If the Jaguars show up to Philly and take down Jalen Hurts, who's the early MVP front runner, yeah, that's that, that'd that, be impressive. That's a September or I guess October statement. That would be impressive. Now you want to talk about it, and team- that's coming off beating the Chargers. I realize Herbert's banged up, but still, and beating them by how many scores? What? I mean, they blew them out, right? 38 points they dropped. Now, you want to talk about a team that's wounded right now? Well, I would throw the Chargers into that mix, but they're not as relevant here. The Tennessee Titans. When you think about what they've lost, either via trade or due to injury this season, they traded away A.J. Brown, Harold Landry tore his ACL, and Taylor Lewan was that also a torn ACL? I believe so. He's done for the season. Jake, that would be the equivalent of looking at this Colts team right now and taking away Michael Pittman, Yannick Ngakwe, and Braden Smith. Now, I'd like to know this. Can you imagine how we'd view this Colts team without Pittman, Ngakwe, and Braden Smith? Riddle, riddle me this. I know that this is right, but it doesn't feel right. I'm looking at the Colts, the, the standings right now. It has the Colts at 1-1-1. One, one, and one. What does that put their win percentage? Their win percentage would be one-third, right? They've won one-third of the games they've played. It has here their win percentage is 500. I'm like, I don't agree with that. Yeah, you got to – can you get the tutor on I mean, that I know one? that algebraically speaking, we can say that the ties cancel oh, each so other now out. now you drop the algebra – the guy gets a 90 <laughs> on one test, and now he drops those words. Uh, believe me, that, that thing's uh, – I mean, my, my so far this algebra grade is it is very much like the Jacksonville Jaguars. We're off to a good start, but we are not expecting this to hold. Okay, I, now, but one one and one is not five hundred, right? I'm with you. They've won one of their their winning percentage is one of three games. Greg said a tie is a half of a win and a half of a loss. So if that's the case. We really need a math teacher to um, explain. If this. it's a half a win and a half a loss, then that means that you are there are four things. So you've got a full point for yeah, I guess. So in that in that scenario, then you have one point five on both sides. So that would be one point five and one point five. Yeah, so one point five out of three would be five hundred. Okay. 
Michael says this, the takeaways are way down. Is that the new scheme? It cannot be just Leonard. I, I really think Leonard played a huge part in that. He is a big part of that. There's no huge. doubt. Run defense has been great. But in Bobby O'Carricade and Zaire Franklin have had a lot of moments. Jake, have you looked at them this season and thought, man, that's a near turnover for Bobby or Zaire? Yeah. No. I don't know that Bobby O'Carricade, and listen. Which is fine. Like, I mean, it's why Shaquille Leonard I don't know is a those, Hall of Fame type talent. Yeah, I don't know that those guys put the fear in you the way a Shaquille Leonard does. There's no doubt about that. It is second and 10 to the 12-yard line. Colts down by four. Ryan backs the pass. Looking, looking. Fires upfield into the end zone. It is caught. Jelani Woods. Touchdown. I-N-D-Y. Two touchdowns today for the rookie. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Ho. Jelani Woods, his first NFL catch on Sunday, his first touchdown, his first game-winning touchdown. It will certainly be one to remember for him, and he joins us right now here on Kevin and Corey. Jelani, I'm curious, were you more nervous on that final drive or when Frank Wright called you into the middle of the team huddle in the post-game locker room and had you give a little speech? I would definitely say uh, after a game, giving the speech, that was that was pretty, you know, kind of intense. Just uh, just a lot of emotion going on uh, throughout the locker room, man. You know, just wanting to make one that was, you know, kind of rememberable and, you know, not mess up with all the cameras around. Did you know that you were going to be the target on that second down from Matt Ryan? I, obviously, when you go back and look at the play, there's a ton of attention towards Michael Pittman. So I'm sure there's part of you that thinks, hey, it's going to be a one-on-one opportunity. But did Matt say anything to you in the huddle? Like, hey, uh, watch out. We're, we're, we're going to be coming your way. Uh, it's, it's kind of one of those plays that we worked on throughout the week. And that uh, It was either an option with uh, me or uh, Pitt. And it's pretty much uh, whoever got open uh, be able to get the opportunity. And, uh, uh, you know, just tried to do my job pretty much and get open for all. Now, Jelani, I'm going to ask you, pepper you with questions here that have nothing to do with football so we can get to know you a little bit. Okay. But, but I'm going to start with a football question, and that's this. It's well documented that you were a quarterback, obviously, playing in high school. You threw for nearly 2,000 yards. I mean, you had some big seasons playing quarterback. But – as a tight end, is there a benefit to playing tight end having been a quarterback? And by that I mean, does it give you a better understanding when plays are breaking down of what the quarterback would be seeing or anticipating and thus allowing you to know as a a target where to go and how to kind of telepathically work with what the quarterback would be anticipating? Uh, it definitely does um, because, um, like you said, me being in that situation before, I kind of know exactly like what's in uh, Matt's mindset, and I got a general idea. And then you know, just trying to be able to uh, work with him on getting open or like uh, what we call a scramble drill, and trying to find a hole in the defense or something, and you know, make a play. Colts third-round pick from this past April. He is Jelani Woods, and he joins us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Jelani, kind of building off that, again, you were a quarterback at Oklahoma State, and you shared this story during the draft process, but if you don't mind, please share it for our listeners. It was Bedlam week, right? Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, and all of a sudden you were asked to play scout team tight end to replicate now Ravens tight end Mark Andrews and they couldn't cover you, and the rest is history? Uh, yes, sir. That's pretty much exactly uh, how it went. And then uh, throughout the week, they're really good, uh, tight end, and, and they called me in, I think, that Sunday morning. Um, pretty much just asked me to, to uh, could I switch to tight end, and I really didn't have any problem with it because, you know, it, it was fun, and I just wanted to get on the field at the time. Uh, so that next year, I ended up uh, being – playing at tight end, playing that whole season at tight end, and then just pretty much kind of ran with it. If you were rewarded, Jelani Woods, for catching the game-winning touchdown, and Jim Irsay, who is a fan of music, said to you, Jelani, in the offseason, I am going to send you to go see the musical act of your choice in your favorite city. 
so long as they're playing there. You would pick what artist to see in concert and in what city would you enjoy it? Uh, I would say uh, that's, a, that's a hard question because I'm kind of a big music guy, so I like a lot of artists. But uh, I would probably say uh, Larry June and uh, probably San Francisco. I kind of, you know, starting to be heavy on him a lot because he's a really good artist. Why San Francisco? Uh, that's where he's at in the Bay Area, so Got that's it. where. That's cool. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. Jelani Woods is with us here again on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Two touchdowns on Sunday. Jelani, uh, we've been told, and I think, I hope it's not someone in- impersonating your father. We've been told that your dad, Gregory Woods, listens to this show. I'm sure there's times he's probably rolled his eyes at a few of the comments that I've made. Uh, did you know that your father listens to this show? No, I didn't know, but yeah, uh, I think he told me recently that he did, so... <laughs> He had me kind of laughing a little bit. but So we yeah, can verify this is dad. actually your dad and not someone posing as your father, correct? Like like yeah. a no Manti Teo situation is what you're saying. No, no, that's my dad. Now, too. was the family in attendance on Sunday? No, it was not, unfortunately. Uh, my whole family came to Jacksonville because the Jacksonville game, you know, of course, it's not that far from Atlanta. So sure. uh, uh, they came to that one, but. Uh, at least they got to see, you know, it on TV, though. Now, if you're talking about Bay Area rappers, for me, and I'm old, Jelani. Jelani Woods of the Colts is our guest on the Payless Liquors guest line. Uh, Too Short was always, like, I loved Too Short when I was in high school. He's out of Oakland. Uh, uh, Does that make me too old? No, definitely not. I I, I have a couple of Too Short songs that I feel like to this day that, you know, I got it as, I kind of want to stay. I flip back and forth at times with old school, new school. But, uh, yeah, I would add two short on my list as well. What do you most enjoy so far? And I realize that you have not had probably a lot of time to, to go out and explore it. But with the city of Indianapolis, I think this is going to be a long-term home for you. I think fans are excited about Jelani Woods playing here, especially after Sunday. What things would you most want to kind of wrap your arms around in terms of the the people and the culture of Indianapolis, or what things have you been able to do and enjoy where you thought this place is pretty cool? I would definitely say, like with me, I'm a big uh, community service type of guy, so I like helping with um, you know just the different activities that the coach provides. So just getting to interact with fans. Um, you know, just uh, being personable and things like that kind of have a big, uh, a big thing for. So that would be pretty much like the biggest, just you know, enduring the whole city and just you know, um, I would say, just you know, honing in on the city and kind of just uh, being there and you know, just you know, just being with the city pretty much with the the uh, other players and with the uh, fans and everything like that. Your favorite restaurant so far in Indianapolis? Say your favorite restaurant? Uh, I'd say the High Steakhouse. Okay. Or the high, wherever, high place. I can't remember the name. but If uh, they were going to open a varsity here like they have in Atlanta, would you be down for that? Oh, definitely. Always. <laughs> and then where's uh, the place in Stillwater we're supposed to ask him about? Oh, Eskimo Joe's. Just, uh, Stillwater's Eskimo jump Joe's a little juke joint. Good. Yeah, Eskimo Joe's is pretty good. It is pretty good. That's one place that if you haven't been in Stillwater, you should go first. Now, J- Jelani, is it true that when you were growing up and you mentioned in the Atlanta area that in the backyard you would act like you were Matt Ryan and not necessarily Tony Gonzalez? Yeah, it was definitely, I would say, I would say both. Okay. Because Tony, Tony was one of my favorites as well, but uh, definitely uh, at like Matt Ryan, I feel like a lot of people did. Uh, even if it, it wasn't Matt Ryan, then it was Roddy White or Michael Turner, uh, uh, guys like that. But generally, you see a lot, a good amount of Matt Ryan jerseys around the city. So, You know what's interesting to me, Jelani, is that you come in as a rookie into – a position room that was kind of wide open because Jack Doyle had left. Mo Ali Cox was obviously the incumbent, but even still there was some question from a receiving end, whether or not he could be that guy. Um, you know, there, it, it was, it was open for you. And yet you now have emerged. 
what is it like in terms of the camaraderie and or the competition with the other tight ends? And what was defined for you in terms of what your role would be in terms of blocking versus receiving? Uh, I would definitely say to answer the first question, the com- like camaraderie between all of us, uh, that's pretty great. It's just we all learn from each other. And we all try to uh, improve every day, uh, get like 1% better every day. And that's the uh, biggest thing. We uh, we help each other. We piggyback off of each other, whatever we're doing. Uh, Mo has things that he's great at. Uh, Colin has things that he as he was great at. Uh, when Drew was in the room, uh, Drew had things he was great at. And, uh, you know, I had things that I was really good at. But uh, we just try to piggyback off each other and pick each other's brain. And I feel like that helps the group in the all and tries to elevate us as well. And then um, uh, with the role situation, I would definitely say, you know, pretty much whatever Coach Frank or uh, Coach Brady tries want to put me at, I just try to do my job as best as I can uh, wherever spot I'm in or whatever role they want me to do and just try to excel at it and get better. Jelani, obviously feel free to disagree. I, I felt like at times in training camp it was a little up and down, which, you know, for any rookies probably to be expected. And then all of a sudden here you are in week three and Matt Ryan is looking your way at the most critical moment of the game. Uh, how would you describe your first NFL training camp and, and the growth that you've had since late July, early August? Uh, I would say, um, I would definitely say uh, it was just, I wouldn't say like pressure, but just being consistent on a like consistent basis. Because um, with me, you know, since I'm backup or whatever, I have to learn, you know, the different spots and um, you know just try to like slow everything down for me. And um, you know, like I said, I was getting I was getting better every day, just trying to uh, hone in on the different things that was coming my way and try to uh, master each thing. And, you know, during training camp, it's a lot, a lot of stuff compared to the season when it's more bro- bro- broken down specifically or who we going against. So it kind of just slows down a little bit and be you being able to uh, hone in on exactly what to do and, and everything like that. So. Uh, just being put in the different spots, of course, it kind of uh, mentally you can kind of get uh, a little slower and overthinking at times and things like things like that. But uh, you know, it all makes you better at the long run. Now I'm kind of understanding the whole offense at a more excelling rate than I would have if I didn't get that challenge. So um, I'm actually glad I went through that now because now I feel like I'm. 10 times more accelerated vision-wise, IQ-wise, and things like that. Which football would be more special to you, Jelani, on your mantle? Your first career touchdown or your first career game winner? Uh, i say I have to put them both both together because it's already hard to score in the NFL. And then and, and at the same time, being able to uh, kind of, you know, put your team on your back and kind of make a play. Uh, to win the game, uh, that's like kind of the same momentum as well. So uh, I, I have to put the shells right by each other and put the balls right beside each other. As a pretty good problem to have, right? It is, yeah. <laughs> hey, this is easy, right? Um, as a team, what is your concern? When you look at your guys' football team, the Indianapolis Colts, what's the area that you feel you most need to shore up? Uh, I'll say right now, I wouldn't say we necessarily have a concern. We just need to uh, continue getting better and continue to um, hone in on the details because, you know, NFL is hard and people, I say, uh, sometimes can overlook that. And, you know, we've been having pretty decent teams and teams can come out and, you know, throw jabs. And that's one thing that we talk about. It's a boxing match pretty much, and we go around for round. And, uh, like, we just had a motivational, like, talk about how even Mike Tyson got knocked out. Even, like, guys, you know, the most powerful guys got knocked out before. So it was just a constant fight to get better every day and to, you know, get everything clicking and working. I feel like that's what we're doing now. Uh, week by week, going to practice every week, been really good in practice. It is, you know, when we get in the games, like I said, we tight, hone in on the details and, you know, and tighten up and execute pretty much. 
Jelani, last one from me. Um, I would consider Tiger Woods my idol. I've never met Tiger. I've thought about meeting him, and I've thought to myself, as soon as I say hello, I'll probably say, I'm sorry my hands are so sweaty and I'm so nervous and I'm stuttering and I can't believe that I'm meeting you right now. Uh, did you have any of that in meeting Matt Ryan? Oh, definitely. It was, uh, I definitely say the first day I get a little shell shock, especially when he takes me on draft night. Uh, that was pretty much like the cell like the shop right there as well. But uh, when I first got in the building, uh, we already talked a couple of times before that. So uh, seeing them, yeah, I had a little bit, but I already knew exactly what to expect and, you know, his personality and everything like that. So it kind of calmed down, but it was awesome still at the end of the day. Now you're from Ellenwood, Georgia. Is that right? Yes. Now is that a suburb of Atlanta or is that a small town like way outside of Atlanta? Uh, it's like a suburb of Atlanta a little bit. It's probably, I think it's like eight minutes from downtown Atlanta. Are, are you the most famous graduate of your high school? Actually, I'm not. We got a couple guys that in my class that's uh, in the NFL now. So, uh, Okay, I'm looking here. Marcus McNeil, is that your class? No, Marcus McNeil is uh, way Well, Okay, me. Justin Schaffner? Yeah. Uh, Schaefer, yep. Yeah, or Schaefer, class. sorry. Uh yep. D'Angelo Malone? Yep, he's in my class. Oh, Dion Glover. I remember Dion Glover. Yep. The, well, Dion Glover was way... Well, he's way before you, I'm saying, but I remember him from when he was... I think he was at Georgia Tech, right? Yeah. And he's an old guy like me. He's, did you, didn't you he's have in like the a, too short era. <laughs> you had like a state title duel, duel. Was it Davis Mills who you dueled with in a state championship game? Yeah, uh, I played him in this. He was a quarterback, uh, a little quarterback battle we had at state championship game my senior year. Do you think your dad's listening to the show right now, Jelani? I would definitely say he is. It, has he, it, does he say that he likes the show or doesn't like the show? No, Should boy, we be I, nervous? I'm nervous. Should we be nervous about him listening? Is he a critic? No, no, he's not. He's not not that type of person because he he loves to listen, no matter if it's good or bad. Uh, he's just the type of person. He supports everything. Uh, he's very loving. He's like um, outgoing. Like he definitely doesn't care at all he just loves to listen and he loves to see the opinions and he loves to uh, hear the uh you know good things about any ambulance the colts and just everything in general good for him i think when your dad that. comes for a game we need to have him in studio can he come in studio and just hang out with us he probably would knowing <laughs> that. He probably would we'll get some quack daddy oh, donuts yeah. and have him in, right. in oh, studio yeah. jelani congrats that had to be just an incredible moment not only the first touchdown early in the game but when matt ryan looked your way late and that was a really hell of a catch as well um to record the game winner so appreciate your time with us this morning hope indy treats you well stay healthy and good luck the rest of the year thank you appreciate for having me Pacers, they'll be playing some basketball a week from tomorrow. Their preseason opener will be on the road. If I'm not mistaken, I think we have to wait maybe till preseason game number three for Chris Denary. Does that sound right? Two weeks, from Two weeks from Wednesday will be the TV. Will we have the radio calls of all the preseason games? We'll have the radio calls for all four preseason games, but for TV over on Valley Sports, that'll be October 12th will be the home opener and also – when Kristen Ari and Quinn and JJ make their debut, Kristen Ari joins us right now on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, anything stand out to you in particular, media day wise? Certainly a different era, Chris, and a little bit of a different tune from an expectation standpoint. Um, anything else stand out to you from yesterday? No, I, I thought it was great to see everybody. I mean, they most of the guys have been in the last uh, few weeks, uh, you know, working out and, and playing pickup games and all that kind of stuff. But but I thought it was a really good vibe. You know, it is a it's um, you know it is a different era. I mean, Rick Carlisle said that yesterday. I thought Kevin Pritchard um, said that last week when he met with members of the media. And um, but I'm excited to see this young group. I mean, it's 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 a plan that they have put in place uh, for you know, long-term. Now you hope you have some success short-term, but I think what Kevin Pritchard said last week, he goes, I really think we're going to have some good wins uh, in his words. He goes, uh, this is, this is a group that's going to win some of those games, but it, it, it could have some downtimes as well because they're so young. So I think that's going to be something to really watch, but I, I do think it's going to be an exciting product on the floor. Um, you know, a guy like Jalen Smith wanted to come back. Uh, had a good end of the season in his final 20-plus games. 
Uh, Tyrese Halliburton now, you would say this is his team. I mean, he has embraced being a leader in his third year. So uh, I'm, I'm really excited to, to see what this group can do. Uh, it's got a coaching staff and a, and a front office that's all in. Everybody's on board with what they want to do, and I, I think that's a good sign. Do we believe, Rick Carlisle, that a 10-man rotation is going to be the norm? Or, or, if I'm not mistaken, he even said maybe more than 10 guys. That, that seems to be a big number for a nightly rotation. Well, you know, you look at you look at the schedule, and I mean, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna point right after Thanksgiving. The the Pacers go on the longest road trip that they've had, I believe, since the mid '80s. Uh, they play seven games in 12 days, come right home and play three in four nights at home. So you're looking at about a 10 game stretch in about 16 days. So in in that regard, I think you can go a little bit deeper uh, with your rotations. You're going to have to go a little bit deeper and. As I've sort of eyed the roster and tried to figure out, okay, who's going to start and who's going to come off the bench, I do see about 10 or 11 guys. I mean, you got a guy in a, in a trade with Boston in, in, in Neesmith, uh, and, and you're trying to figure out, okay, how's he going to fit into the rotation? Uh, O'Shea Brissett's had, I think, a pretty good year plus with the Pacers. Where is he going to fit in? Because Jalen Smith's going to start at the four, Miles Turner at the five. You've got Goga Bataze, Isaiah Jackson. So, Kevin, you've got a lot of guys that warrant playing time, and I think as you're trying to develop guys, that's probably what you want to do. You want to give guys the opportunity to play. Chris, do you feel like some of the pressure has been taken off the Pacers from an expectation standpoint that Kevin was talking about because of the fact that they have been so upfront about, hey, listen, this we're a year away from really worrying about our win total right now. This is about developing young players and, and seeing which ones of them mesh together for the future. And this is, I hate to say an experimental year, but a building block year. Does that take a little bit of the pressure off by being so upfront and transparent about it? I, I think so, Jake, from the standpoint that it takes pressure off you nightly um, from that standpoint. I mean, you're still trying to win games. I mean, this is a group that's hungry. When you listen to them yesterday, they understand where they are and collectively who they are. But it, it doesn't mean that you're not going out there, you know, trying to beat the other opponent. Uh, but I do think so. I mean, you look back over the last few years when injuries sort of ravaged the team and and those expectations weren't met. The last two years not making the playoffs, um, having a core that you thought could get there, uh, a group that won, what, 45, 46 games uh, when it went to the bubble in Miami, had a good, uh, a good run before getting swept by Miami. So, yeah, it's a, it's, it is different um, just from an expectation standpoint. But I, I still think when this group goes out on the floor each and every night, their expectation is to win. Um, but they, they've got a lot of young guys that have not experienced the highs or the lows of an NBA season, and that's something they're going to have to go through collectively. Television voice of the Pacers, he's Chris Denary, and he's with us here on the Payless Lickers Hotline. Chris, you and I have had conversations, and certainly our listening audience knows, and Mark made sure to remind everybody of it earlier, um, that I've been a huge Benedict Matherin fan throughout this process. I think what initially obviously caught my eye to Matherin was just how he plays the game. You know, I think it's a high level of athleticism. Um, He can stretch the floor. He's not afraid of big moments, big shots, big opponents, those things. But then you read more about his story, Chris, and just how he's wired. And, you know, he grew up in Haiti, and then he's in Canada. His brother tragically dies. His dad's never in his life. He kind of looks at himself in the mirror and realizes, boy, I, I've got to become the, the, the man of the household. And next thing you know, he's at the NBA Academy in, in a different country in Mexico. And then he's at Arizona. I, I think that is critically important to the Pacers potentially having a future star in that, yes, his on-court talents you know, kind of speak for themselves. But off the court, I think he's wired in a way that the Pacers really, really need to find. Yeah, and I think if, if you haven't read the Players' Tribune article that he wrote about, as you said, about his background, about his story, I think, you know, fans or just anybody needs to go out and read that. It, it It's not just about sports. It's not just about basketball. It's about life. And, and, and you're right. I had a chance just to visit with him a little briefly yesterday. I think one of the things from a physical standpoint that I noticed yesterday is just – how defined he is. He does not necessarily look 
like a rookie coming into the NBA. And the reason I say that is I compare him to Chris Duarte, who is older. Uh, We know that Duarte came into the NBA at 24. Chris Duarte yesterday looked significantly bigger and stronger than he did a year ago. And that's one year of being in the NBA. I looked at Benedict Matherin yesterday, and I thought, my gosh, this guy looks like he's already been in the league for a couple of years. So I think he brings in, as you said, that backstory that really fuels his fire. And then physically he is gifted. And it's going to – all rookies learn, right? It's and No matter what sport you're in, very, very rarely do you come right in and, and – and knock it down. But I do think this guy has a real, real chance to be a a, a standout player. Uh, What we saw briefly when he played in summer league, he was outstanding. And so I'm I'm really, uh, really interested to see uh, how he fits into this group and, and how he's paired in the backcourt with Tyrese Halliburton. He and Tyrese really bonded back uh, prior to the draft. Matherin made it clear that he wanted the Pacers to take him. Uh, Halliburton told the front office he'd like nothing better than for Benedict Matherin to be a part of the team, and and now here they are, uh, should be the starting backcourt. Chris, uh, final 45 seconds or a minute here, but the guy that in talking to Kevin Pritchard, I have not heard Rick Carlisle talk about him, but that that all of a sudden looks like he might get more minutes early than what I anticipated is Andrew Nimhard because Pritchard seemed very high on him uh, that he could work into the rotation. You agree with that? Yeah, I mean this is a guy that's uh, an extremely talented player. I mean some people say that they he reminds you of a younger Malcolm Brogdon. I mean with uh, his knowledge and his his skill level and those types of things and and we know he played for a good program in college. So uh, he's a guy that I think you know he could fight his way in, into some rotational minutes at some point. Yeah, how they divvy up those minutes between him and T.J. McConnell will be something to keep an eye on. And like the earlier question, just that 10-man ten, ten rotation, the balance of wanting to play the young guys versus the vets will be something for Rick Carlisle to juggle all season long. Uh, Chris cannot wait for, I guess, two weeks from Wednesday for you guys, uh, but even just next Wednesday for the Pacers to get back on the floor. Uh, looking forward to having you on more here with the Pacers season underway. Yeah, looking forward to it. Once we start those two preseason, we'll do 84 straight. So we've got all 82 in the regular season. So uh, nothing better than having the gang back together. We're all back and uh, looking forward to it.